So our scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. This just shows you, by the way, how off my brain is just before I come up here. So one of these faithful kids came up to me today, just this morning, and said, so what's the name and the numbers that you're going to announce? Because he wanted to be ready ahead of time. And so I just, I said... Oh, it's uh, John 6, 1 to 11. He's like, okay, and he left. And then 50 seconds later, he came back and he looked at me and he said, it's Luke. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you're right, it is Luke. It's been Luke for like a half a year. I don't know what happened. So we're in Luke. I apologize to anyone that I misled. <clears throat> the two passages or the two paragraphs we're looking at today kind of end a a sort of subsection of Luke that that introduces Jesus' ministry sort of in a way of showing it in the the trouble with Jesus category. Not like real trouble with Jesus, but the trouble that the religious leaders were having with Jesus. And so a couple of weeks ago, it started with uh, the, the healing of the paralytic. And the leaders, the religious leaders have had trouble with the authority that Jesus assumed. Because Jesus, at the healing of the paralytic, if you remember, he says, uh, the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. And then last week, as Rich preached while my family was finishing up our spring break, uh, he preached and, and he spoke about the company that Jesus keeps. The religious leaders had a problem with the company Jesus kept. He, he actually hung out with sinners, I mean, the very types of men and women that you've been telling your children, avoid them. They're icky. Those people Jesus went to and ate with. And the religious leaders had a problem with that. And then Rich pointed out that the religious, the religious leaders had a problem with the, the, the attitude that Jesus encouraged. You know, celebrate, enjoy. This isn't a time for fasting. This is a time for rejoicing. The Son of God is here to save you. And then today, uh, almost as a final straw, in fact, the passage ends by saying that from that point on, the religious leaders are looking for some way to take this man down because of the traditions he bucks. These, these man-made rules that they had built up around a God-given gift. So let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, what are you doing? Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat? And he also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. 
On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to, that, to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. The grass withers, the flowers fade, and yet the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. So before we get into these two paragraphs, you know, first we need to just be reminded of the Sabbath and the rest of the story. And then we'll look at these and sort of, is it true that Jesus just used the five-year-old, he did it first argument? Um, and then finally, is it good to do good? And then we'll sort of circle back to the Sabbath and just sort of ask ourselves, who's, who's the Lord of your Sabbath? So we, we have to remember what the Sabbath is and what it was. Um, well, both what it was and what it is. As I was, as I was preparing for this passage, I was reading uh, one author who wrote, The general indifference of Western Christians towards Sabbath observation puts them at a disadvantage in understanding the importance of Sabbath in Judaism. And I'd say that that is an understatement from both sides of that. The, there is just a sad indifference among Western Christians towards Sabbath, uh, and it really undermines our understanding of just how important Sabbath is and was in Judaism, especially in first century uh, Judaism. Other than circumcision, Sabbath was uh, probably the only other visible reminder that Israel or the Jews were different from the rest of the world. Uh, they, they did things differently. They were marked to be different. They were set apart. Circumcision marked a Jew in his flesh and said, you're different. Uh, the Sabbath marked a view or marked a Jew in his use of time and announced to the world, you are different. The Sabbath was a full day that began at sunset on Friday evening and ended at sunset on Saturday evening. It's the fourth commandment, the observance of Sabbath. Uh, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. In both lists of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 and in Deuteronomy 5, it's the longest commandment. Like God, God uses more words to explain and describe keep the Sabbath day holy than He does don't kill anyone. 
The, the word Sabbath, some people think Sabbath is some fancy word for seven. It's not. <clears throat> Sabbath is a fancy word for stop working. It just means don't work, no work, rest. It's a day uh, of reorientation. It's a day to reorient your life and your values back vertically toward God. It's a day to sit and rest and enjoy. But it's not just a reorientation vertically. The Sabbath is a gift as a reorientation horizontally. It's a way to reorient your life in your relationship toward creation. In fact, the Sabbath is the only commandment that's alluded to or brought up in creation. The Sabbath is the only commandment that is mentioned before there's even sin in the world. The Sabbath day is brought up. In Genesis 2, at the end of six days of creation, the first two verses of Genesis 2 say, Thus the heavens and earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done. <clears throat> and so the Sabbath is not just, it doesn't just show up in like the ceremonial laws of Israel, it shows up at creation. The, the Sabbath included instructions uh, for how you, it wasn't just instructions for how you yourself would work or not work, but it included instructions for how you, how you treated your fellow Israelites. But not just your fellow Israelites, there were instructions on how you treated strangers and aliens in the land on the Sabbath. There were instructions for how you treated your children, but also instructions on how you treat your slaves. There were instructions on how you treat your animals. And there were instructions on how you treat your vegetables, like your crops. There was instruction on how you reorient your life one day a week in rest. And that rest is a gift of rest to everyone around you and everything around you. One day in seven for not working for resting. 52 days a year to rest. That's seven and a half weeks of days off every year. Trusting that God is good and he will provide. In Exodus 20, as the longest commandment, uh, the reasons given for a Sabbath rest are tied directly to creation. In Exodus 20, Moses lays out, because in six days God created the heavens and earth, and on the seventh day he rested. And so the reason for Sabbath rest is because God created everything. Everything <clears throat> includes time. So God is the God of time, and so God is the God of your time. Got that? So you rest, because it says to God, I trust you even with my time. 
in Deuteronomy, still the longest in the list of Ten Commandments, but a different reason is tied to the Sabbath. This time Moses says, because you were once slaves in Egypt and God redeemed you, God rescued you from a tyrannical evil taskmaster. And God is not a tyrannical evil taskmaster. And so you get to rest under God's lordship. You were once slaves who never had a day of rest. And now I'm commanding you to rest because I've rescued you. I've redeemed you. And so you may rest knowing that I've taken care of it. Now, unfortunately, as with all of God's laws, when they meet our sin, a mess ensues. There's really, and we, but we know this, there are, there's only one of two ways to go wrong with God's laws, right? You can either do the age-old, old as the Garden of Eden itself, and come to God's law and say, did God really say? Does God really mean? Surely God doesn't know my circumstances. I'm sure this applies to other people. I'm sure this was a cultural thing. This can't be what it means. It seems so straightforward, but it can't mean that. But then the other way that we can abuse God's law is we can say, well, if this is what God wants to be really good, you should do this. But I know this is what it says, but let's read between the lines. What he wants is this, because if, 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 if you cross this line, you know, that's fire and brimstone. So let's set the line back here, because now if you cross the line, you're still, you're still in the safe zone. Let me illustrate two ways that, that, that we see this. So, so kids, you, got, you have babysitters, right? Like, or you remember having babysitters, uh, or you're old enough to be a babysitter. So let's say mom and dad are going out, and uh, you hear them give the babysitter instructions. It's been a long day. You've worked hard. You've helped with all the chores. You've had a happy heart. You've done it all without complaining. You did more than all of it. You used your own toothbrush on the baseboards instead of dad's toothbrush. Like you are going above and beyond. And your parents are going out for a much needed date, but they want you to be rewarded as well. And so they say to the babysitter, and you hear this, they say, so when we go out after supper... Each child can have three cookies and a small piece of cake because they have worked so hard. But I do want to make sure that they're in bed by eight. So please put them to bed by eight. They can have three cookies, a piece of cake, but put them to bed by eight. And so, you know, and then off they go. Now the babysitter. After they leave, the babysitter decides... I don't think they really know what they're doing, these parents. And so the babysitter gives you five cookies each, two pieces of cake each, and instead of putting you to bed at eight, they let you scamper up the stairs when the headlights hit the front window. Not that I ever did that <laughs> as child or babysitter. But now you might think as a kid, this is wonderful. I love this babysitter. But the reality is, now the cake is gone, and so what should have been a celebration tomorrow can't be a celebration. 
Your parents know what's going on tomorrow. Maybe it's a Saturday night that they were going out, and now you're not rested for the, for the Lord's Day, or maybe you just had a game or something, and now you're, you're tired and you have a tummy ache, and, and it turns out your parents knew what you needed and even knew how to give you gifts, but the babysitter thought she knew that she, he knew better. Or let's say the babysitter gathers you together after the parents leave and say, listen, I know what the parents said, but if you really loved your parents, you would eat zero cookies, zero cake, and I'm putting you to bed at 5.30. Because if your parents want you in bed by 8, 5.30 guarantees it. Like, you're in bed at 8. And so this is, and this is how your parents will know you love them. When they come home and see that you didn't eat any of the cookies and you didn't eat any of the cake and you're well-rested, that's how they'll know you love them. And I'll get hired again. Now, as a kid, you're thinking, I want babysitter A, aren't you? But really, both are bad babysitters, aren't they? Both don't take the desires of the parent seriously. One thinks they're smarter. Well, actually, both. Both think they're smarter than the parents. One thinks the parents are too lenient. One thinks the parents are too strict. But both are not honoring the parents and aren't helping the children honor the parents. The rabbis and the Pharisees of the first century went down the second path. They were the second babysitter, not the first babysitter. There were no fewer than 39 man-made laws added to how do you keep the Sabbath holy. Now, some of those were good and necessary consequence observation. It says no work, so they'd say things like, well, that includes plowing, so don't plow. That includes hunting, don't hunt. It includes butchering, don't butcher. And you think, well, of course, that seems like, why do they have to add to that? Well, because they like to. They liked adding things to it because they went beyond just the things that were obvious to things that maybe you hadn't realized were a breaking of the Sabbath. And so let me help you. You can take 1,999 steps on the Sabbath day, but you cannot take 2,000 steps. You heathen, you're going straight to hell. What is the matter with you? You... You cannot spit on the ground on the Sabbath day. Because when you spit on loose dirt, you can actually turn the dirt. Guys, try this at home. Girls, too. You got to learn how to spit at some point. Go home. You got to do it on loose dirt. Don't do it on the hardwood floors, those don't turn. But loose dirt, like you spit, if you spit, if you get a good, like, <laughs> like you spit. You're going like, to flip the dirt. Like you're, and do you know what that does? That's plowing, you wicked, dirty heathen. You've just plowed on the Sabbath day. You, you can't tie or untie a knot on the Sabbath. Oh, but there is a caveat. If you can do it one-handed, that's not work. Apparently... A knot that requires both hands, that's too much work. If you can untie a knot with one hand, go for it. <clears throat> All these things you can try at home. You, you, could, you could sew one stitch, but not two. You couldn't write more than one letter. And I don't mean 
dear grandma, how are you? I'm fine. I mean, D. Okay, put that down. You can pick that up again tomorrow. It, it was as ridiculous as it sounds. Essentially, you could not do anything on the Sabbath that was not absolutely necessary for preserving life. The scribes, the Pharisees, they just thought it would be helpful if every scenario you could think of, they had a law to explain what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. And so what's the issue that the Pharisees are so upset about in verse 2? Some said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? So it can't be that they're walking too far because the Pharisees and the teachers are walking along with them. They're all walking in the field uh, and the Pharisees are observing something. It's not that they're stealing from the farmer's field because that's actually a law that protects travelers. Uh, There was actually a law that said the farmer had to leave the edges of his field near the paths with some crops so that as you traveled, you could help yourself and and eat some of that. No, what was happening was the, the, the disciples were taking the heads of grain and like the heads of grain, they always have like these little outer husks and like the hairs that come out of the top and like you don't like put that whole thing in your mouth that like would, you'd gag on the hairs, tickle in the back of your throat. But what you'd do is you'd, you would take those husks and you just roll them in your hands lightly and the wind would blow away the husk part, the outer shell and the hair and you'd be left with a little handful of kernels that you could snack on as you walked. The problem is that is harvesting. That is, is like, you, like you're, you're harvesting and threshing grain, you wicked heathen. I can't believe you guys didn't know this. And so that's the problem they have. They're like, look at you're, you're letting your, your disciples do what's not allowed. And then this is how we get to Jesus' answer. And it really is, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound like, well, he did it first. Because he doesn't even answer their question. He says, have you not read? Which actually is interesting. So Jesus doesn't say to them what you and I would say. You're dumb. Leave me alone. Uh, He actually uses like rabbinical argument. Because that's how you would support yourself. You'd say, well, haven't you read? Or isn't it written? Or have you not seen? Like you would go to, uh, you know, some original source and say, well, look, here's what it says. And so Jesus does that, but he doesn't go where you'd expect him to go. He says, haven't you read what David did when he was hungry? And he was, and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God, took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone but the priests to eat. And then also he gave it to those who were with him. So this is a, a moment in David's life, and some of you were here when we did when we were working through Second Samuel. And so in Second Samuel, uh, David has already been anointed as king of Israel. And if you remember in Hebrew, the word for anointed just means is actually Meshua or Messiah. So so David has been Messiahed to be the king of Israel. 
but the current king doesn't recognize it and isn't letting go and wants to kill David. And so David is on the run, he and his men. And at one point they come to the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the tent that would become the temple. So this is the temple of God. This is the place where God's people would come to worship. It's where the priests would make the sacrifice. And one of the things that was at the temple on this table were 12 loaves of bread that were freshly baked every, well, every Sabbath, actually. They were replaced. So a new 12 loaves of bread would be put out every Sabbath. But the old 12 loaves wouldn't just get thrown away, but the priests and their families would get to eat that bread. It was part of the provision for the priests. And so David comes in, he's on the run, he's got his men. The only food in the whole place are these 12 loaves of bread that are dedicated first to God for a week and then to the priests for their families. And David takes those and he eats them and he breaks them and he gives them to his guys. And that was not allowed. And so it sounds like Jesus is saying, listen, if you're important enough, the laws don't apply. Like, it's good to be king. You get to do what you want. And I'm king, so I get to do what I want. That's not what he's saying. Because in 2 Samuel 7, God had made a very special and specific promise to David. He had told him that one day, someone from his own line would sit on his throne forever. That there would one day come a king who would reign in righteousness forever. In Jeremiah 23, years later, in fact, the exile has happened. The, the, the country has split. Both are in exile. In Jeremiah, a promise is made. Behold, the days are coming when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. God's people clung to that promise, knew that one day a branch from David would come who would deal, who would restore justice and righteousness. There were many benedictions at the time that, that they would pray in the synagogues and in the temple. One very familiar one was, cause the branch of David, your servant, speedily to sprout, and let his horn be exalted by your salvation. And so both in Scripture and by their liturgy, it was known that one would come from the line of David who would be greater than David. And so Jesus first is implying, I'm that one. David did what he did, not because the rules didn't apply, but because as the king of Israel, it was, it was his right to do that. I am greater than David. But then he doesn't just imply it. He says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, this is important because he doesn't say, man is Lord of the Sabbath. In other places, he'll, when dealing with Sabbath issues, Jesus will say the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, it wasn't that God said, I have a great rule. I just don't have anyone to follow it. I, I can't wait to apply this Sabbath rule. What do I do? I'll, I'll build people, and then they'll keep my rules. No. 
God said, I want to share my love. Here's people. Oh, here's how you can thrive. Here's, here's the best way for you to thrive. Here are the rules that you would follow and you would thrive. The rules were always made for man, not man for the rules. But here Jesus is saying, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Son of Man is a title only Jesus uses about himself. Like no one in the Gospels calls Jesus the Son of Man. He's called the Son of Man later in Acts uh, by Stephen. Uh, he's called Son of Man in a couple of other later New Testament books. But in the Gospels, only Jesus calls himself Son of Man. In 524, we've already reviewed this. He had said, so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. And then he healed the paralytic. Here he says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, God makes the rules, not man. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. You are not Lord of the Sabbath. You don't get to add 39 ridiculous rules to the Sabbath and think, oh, this is how you really honor God. No, God already knows what He wants out of the Sabbath, not you. And the same is true for removing those. No, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And Jesus reminds us of this through this second encounter on another Sabbath day. So now they're in a synagogue and they're worshiping as they did on the Sabbath. And while they're in there in verses 6 to 11, the, uh, there's a man who has a withered hand. Actually, Luke being the doctor and always a man for details, he wants you to know it was his right hand. No other gospel that records this cares. Luke cares. He likes those things. What's Jesus going to do? Turns out the Pharisees have let this man in as a test. Like they don't see a man. They see an opportunity to trap Jesus. Jesus sees a man who's suffering, who could use some help. And Jesus cuts straight to the heart of the matter in, in verse 9 with his questions. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? Because if you see a good that you could do and you don't do it, you're doing evil. You're not just avoiding good. You're actually accomplishing evil. There's something you could have done that was good. You chose not to do it. That's harmful. That's being harmful. Isn't this the point of the Good Samaritan parable? We, we don't see the, the priest and the lawyer crossing the street to avoid the man as just a neutral action, do we? Like we recognize that was evil. Not helping him was an act of evil. It was wicked. When you see a good you could have done and choose not to do it, you know, it's not convenient. It's just, I got other things. Jesus says, which is lawful, to do good or to do harm? To save life or to destroy it? 
I do think it's amusing that technically Jesus still didn't break the Sabbath. I mean, in one sense, he didn't really do anything, did he? He asks the question, and then he says to the man, well, stretch out your hand. Because, you know, when you have like a, an injured or a, like if your hand is all bloody or scarred, like you don't want people to see that, so you cover it. Like this guy probably had it pulled into his robe. He said, well, stretch out your hand. And it says he stretched out his hand, and it was whole. And so like in one sense, they had nothing then. They're like, I well, well, hmm. what, what exactly did he do? I mean, is it against the rules to stretch your hand out? No, it's not. I looked. If we could add 40. We could do number 40. Don't put your hand out. Is it against the rules to talk to someone? Well, no, we're talking to each other, so we can't add 41. So that's, don't do that. So I, 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 I don't know. What, I don't know what to do. I think that's part of why they're furious. They're furious. Because in every time they try to catch him, they get caught in their own trap. And they show that they didn't come up with these rules out of love for people. You know, Jesus will, will ride them hard. He'll say, you, you put a burden on the people's backs and you don't lift a finger to help them. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, let's admit some things here. Let's just kind of bring it all back. We don't understand this. Like, we're fully, we're fully in support of, of Jesus bringing them down for their silly, slavish rules about the Sabbath day. But let me ask you, is Jesus still the Lord of the Sabbath? Is Jesus, is Jesus the Lord of your Sabbath? So one of the writers I was reading, J.C. Ryle, so this is what he says about this. We must not allow ourselves to be carried away by the common notion that the Sabbath is a mere Jewish ordinance and that it was abolished and done away with by Christ. There is not a single passage of the Gospels which proves this. In every case where we find our Lord speaking upon it, he speaks against the false views of it, which were taught by the Pharisees, but not against the day itself. He cleanses and purifies the fourth commandment from the man-made additions by which the Jews had defiled it, but never declares that it was not to bind Christians. He shows that the seventh day's rest was not meant to prevent works of necessity and mercy, but he says nothing to imply that it was to pass away as part of the ceremonial law. I at least find it amusing that the commandment God used the most words to describe in the Ten Commandments, we assume was because he was going to eliminate it as soon as he could. That just seems odd. Is God... As Exodus 20 says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy because in six days the Lord created the heavens and the earth. Is God still the creator of heaven and earth? Is God still the creator and therefore Lord of time? And so is God the Lord of your time? 
in Deuteronomy 5. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy because you were once slaves and God rescued you. Is God still your deliverer? Has God redeemed you? Has God accomplished a work in your place in such a way that you can now rest in Him? In our culture of unhealthy self-will and autonomy, we balk at anyone who still thinks they can tell us what we should do or shouldn't do, where we should do it or shouldn't do it, and especially when we should do it or shouldn't do it. We think that any notion of waiting until a maturity time or waiting for something, we think waiting is completely ridiculous. Circumcision and Sabbath, two markers that identified God's people as being of Him and not of the world. You could look at their use of time and know they were different from the world. Sacraments and the Lord's Day. Two markers that identify God's people as being of Him and not of this world. Does your use of Saturday night reflect a valuing of Sunday morning? Does your, does your weekend say anything about whose you are and about who you are in Christ? And certainly there's always the questions of like, well, but we're not on the Sabbath, but like, that's why I love this day at thy creating word, the song we opened with. It's just a reminder that, you know, all throughout Scripture, there were hints given that the Lord's Day would move from the end of the week to the beginning of the week. So the first day of the first week, the first day of creation, light was created. On the first day of the week, Jesus rose from the dead. The light overcame the darkness. And on the first day of the week, 40 days after Jesus' resurrection, well, 40 days after his ascension, excuse me, on a Sunday morning, the Holy Spirit was poured out, the light of God, onto all believers. Just three reminders that the first day of the week is a day to rejoice in over the light that God has given to us. You know, I'm not going to say, uh, I'm not going to give 39 rules. That would be a little ironic, to say the least. But I would ask, what am I, what am I willing to reconsider? And it's why we use Romans 7. Because coveting's an easy one, isn't it? Because in reality, like, we don't. I didn't know what coveting was until the Bible said, don't covet. I was like, well, what's that? It's wanting things you shouldn't want. Oh. Oh, no. 
What if he had chosen a different command? I, I didn't know. Listen, I, I wouldn't have known what dishonoring the Sabbath was until the law came. Keep the Sabbath day holy. And then suddenly, it just sprung up within me. What? That's my time. That's my... You don't know. You don't understand. You don't know how busy... I, you don't know what I... It's, and suddenly, it just springs up. And the law wasn't evil. It just revealed the evilness of my heart. Can I take the gifts of God and recognize and trust God that actually if I live His way, I would thrive? Because He wants good for me. If I would receive the gift of rest. You know what resting says? It says, I... Admit I have limits. It says, I admit I can't do it all, and I don't need to do it all. I mean, you do it every day. Every night you go to sleep. You're saying, okay, all right, God, I'm going to close my eyes now. Uh, I'm just going to assume you're going to keep this thing going, and I'm going to trust you, because like, I feel like if I'm not up, things fall apart. But no, we rest we trust that gravity will keep working, and so we'll still be on our bed when we wake up. We trust all kinds of things are going to keep running without our consciousness. Can you do that for a day? Say, I trust you, God. This day is for you. This is a day to do good, to just go out and do good, to bless someone, because you've blessed us. Let's pray. God, I pray that we would... Rejoice in the gift that you've given to us of your day. That we would delight in the opportunity to just rest and reorient ourselves both toward you and toward each other. I pray that it would be a witness to the world that there's something different. That we can trust you. That you created us and we are yours. And you've redeemed us and so we are yours. Pray that we would love you and trust you, even with our time. In Jesus' name, amen.